0: again, Mount Calvary. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful day. What a great way to start our service with our, some of our missionaries and with the child dedication and with worship. And so we are so thankful to be together. This morning, we're going to continue to look at the Easter mission. Last Sunday, if you remember, uh, hopefully you remember, it was a week ago, uh, what an amazing morning it was. Uh, I, I'm biased, but uh, I thought the service last Sunday was just—it was beautiful. Uh, if you remember, First Peter one three was kind of our theme verse for the morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Peter's worshiping; he's celebrating the fact that Jesus is resurrected, and so we considered, what is it? why is Peter celebrating here? What are the reasons that Peter has to celebrate? And we kind of gave a summary view of those reasons. God has given us confidence in the future and power in the present because of the resurrection in the past. And for this reason, we worship. This is 1 Peter 1. And then we closed the service as we considered why Peter is saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we considered the reasons. Then we joined with Peter and millions of Christians around the world singing praises, blessing God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we sang the song, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever forever. To the King of Kings. And so I sit, I sit up here in the front uh, every Sunday, and I can't see everyone singing behind me. But last Sunday I didn't have to turn around to know. I mean, what a moment that closing worship song was. Do you remember that? Shake your heads. I mean, what an incredible moment of worship. But then the moment ended. Now, it was a beautiful moment of heaven-like worship where we were completely focused on the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We are not thinking of ourselves full of joy, celebrating, singing loudly, forgetting who we are, raising our hands. I mean, I saw people weeping as we got to worship the resurrected Christ. But then the moment ended. And the Watsons, we went home that afternoon. We had our honey-glazed ham on Easter. Ashley made some scalloped potatoes that were delicious. She made a homemade coconut cake. And we had our egg hunt with the kids. I was watching the Masters. Last Sunday, I was chainsawing some trees, getting poison ivy last Sunday. I didn't know that at the time. But then it was Monday, and it was Tuesday, and it was Wednesday and the week just started to go. I mean, Easter was packed up. It was a great moment last Sunday. Beautiful worship, but it ended. And I thought to myself, going into this week, is that how it's supposed to be? But it just ends, that it was a great moment, tears were shed, joyful, loud worship, the resurrected Christ, but now it's just time to move on to whatever is next. But I don't think it's supposed to be like that. I don't think so. When we look at God's word, what we see over and over and over again, the resurrection compels people to worship. But then it creates a movement of missions. Compels people to worship. But it doesn't just end with worship. It doesn't just end with a nice service. Now let's move on. But instead, what we see, the resurrection causes people to get up and to get on the move with missions. And so this morning, that's what I want us to do. I want us to consider. I mean, it worked out really perfectly that this was the first Sunday after Easter. I didn't plan it personally, didn't plan it, think much about it when it fell in the calendar. But Yet again, God perfectly placed this together and said, my worship of my resurrected son is not just a one Sunday thing, but it is, it is a service, it is a song that lasts and causes of movement of missions. And so this morning, we want to go back to the empty tomb. We want to go back to Matthew 28. We want to see the celebration, but we want to see how the celebration spills over into missions. And so if you have a Bible and can turn to Matthew 28, we'll read the first 10 verses, and then we'll jump down and read 16 through 20. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come to you this morning, we come to this passage, and we pray, God, that as we consider the movement of missions in these women and in these disciples, God, I pray that you would move us in the same direction. God, that our celebration of Easter and the resurrection would not just be a Sunday morning service, but it would be a life that says, God, take us, that we would go and we would share the hope of the gospel. And so God, help us. I mean, we have so many excuses, so many reasons, so many fears. And so God, we pray that as we consider what does it look like to go, God, I pray that you would encourage us and help us and convict us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So as we think about this passage, what what I want us to think about is what what do we learn from this passage about a movement towards missions. And really, all I did this week was study the passage and think, what does this teach us about how we're supposed to go? And so as I did that and made those observations, I came up with seven. Don't be scared. Uh, We'll get through all seven. Number one, the resurrected Jesus was not a show to watch, but a story to tell. Not a show to watch, but a story to tell. I mean, as I'm thinking of this scene in Matthew 28, the special effects that these women would have seen that Sunday morning would have been something to take in. I mean, who doesn't like special effects? Who doesn't like going to a show or to movie and to see all these different moving parts? A couple weeks ago, we took my parents to go to Sight and Sound to see Moses, and you know me, I like Sight and Sound. It was a pretty Incredible show. And we were anticipating how they were gonna handle some of the scenes from the story with Moses. And it was incredible. The way that they had the the baby basket go down the middle aisle for the Nile, the plagues, and of course crossing the Red Sea. I mean it was an incredible thing to take in. But what was the coolest of all the special effects? If you've seen the show, have you seen this? Anyone seen the show? Well, I won't spoil it too much, but you know the story. The coolest—I thought—the coolest special effect had to do with Moses' staff. And you know how it goes. I mean, it's a—it's a—it's a stick. You know, he's talking to Pharaoh. He's directing people. I mean, it, I'm sitting there watching. We were way back, but it was clearly a staff until, at just the right time, he hits the ground, and right before your eyes, this stick becomes a slithering snake on the ground. And you're like, how does it happen? I mean, it looked just like a snake until Moses finally picks it up by the tail. And the moment he picks it up, it goes back into being a a staff. And you're thinking, how do they do this? Just imagine how sight and sound would do Matthew 28. I mean, the great earthquake. I mean, the, the rocks are shaking and moving the floor, the smoke, the dust. You can picture people running and screaming. I mean, that's probably what sight and sound would do. You could picture the larger-than-life gravestone slowly moving out of the way, the dramatic music that's being played, and then the angel. I you mean, you, you know that they would just make this angel beautiful, dazzling, the lightning that's used to describe the angel here in Matthew 28. And you can just picture all this. And so, what do you see in the text? Mary does not come to the tomb with popcorn, she doesn't come with candied almonds. They're really good, but this is not what Mary's doing. She's not going to, she's not watching everything that's happening in Matthew 28 saying, Give me more. I can't wait to see what they do with Pentecost. I can't wait to see what they do with the tongues of fire. Like, this is not what Mary's doing. She's not coming to enjoy a show. This isn't entertainment. This isn't, an, this isn't even a, a worship service for Mary to have warm, fuzzy feelings. No, the text tells us very clearly why Jesus showed himself to these women. Matthew 28, 6, and 7. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell. Come and see this, Mary, so that you can go and tell. The purpose of the post-resurrection appearance of Christ was for them, they would have the knowledge and the conviction to now go and tell. It was not just come and see. It wasn't just come and sing, come and feel good. No, the purpose was that they would see and touch and believe and be convicted. And out of that conviction, they would now go and tell. The the tomb, the the gravestone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Right? He didn't need that. He could have floated right through that stone. It was so Mary could get in. Go and see it. Believe it. And now once you believe it and you have conviction, go and tell someone about it. You see the same formula a couple of times through the story. Verse 9. Finally, well, Jesus then appears to the women. First it was the angel. Now in verse 9 it's Jesus. What does he say? Greetings. They see him. They take hold of his feet but they don't stay there. right? It's not just see and take hold and go home and feel good about it. It's see him. Now go and tell the disciples. That's verse 10. Verse, verse 17. Or verse 7, he says, go to, the, go to Galilee with the disciples. There you will see him. With, now with the disciples, he's saying, In Galilee they will see me. Verse 17, They saw him right? That's what it says. When they saw him, what comes next? Come and see, verse 19, now go and tell. The purpose of the resurrected Jesus, it was not just a show. It was a story to tell. We see it again in Acts 1. We won't go through the passage, but another post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He's talking to the disciples, and what does he say? Stop looking at me, He's going up into heaven, and he turns around. And he's probably like, "What? What are they doing? I just told them it is time for you to go. Stop gawking. Stop looking. Stop staring into heaven. Go and make disciples." So this is the purpose of Easter. It's the purpose of our worship is not just to feel good and encouraged, but it is to be. Convicted and propelled to go and to go on mission. That's, that's, the, that's what we see in Matthew 28. Number two, worship precedes going. Worship precedes going. Some of this is simple, it's just an observation in the story. Before the women go, they worship, they are compelled to go because they have first worshipped. Matthew 28, 9 and 10. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, they came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. After they worshipped him, verse 10, Do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers, and that's exactly what they do. Verse 17. Now with the disciples in Galilee. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, Verse 19, go. I mean, it's very logical. It's a very simple point. Worship comes first before they go. I mean, if you think about it, it's it's so, I feel like, common sense. The women just received great news. The disciples just received really the most incredible, life-changing news. Mary, Magdalene, just think of Mary. I mean, what she's processing... The resurrected Jesus means that everything Jesus told her, the forgiveness that she she received through Jesus, that that it was all true. I mean, how overwhelming it would have been for the disciples. The resurrected Jesus meant everything he had been saying to them was completely true because the resurrection verified it. The way, the truth, the life. He He is god he is Lord over everything. I mean, the, this is great news for the disciples and for Mary. And so what's very natural to do? You worship. I mean, all it was for the, for the, the women and the disciples, I mean, you can just imagine. Just this thankfulness. Just thankfulness. I worship you, God. Jesus is Real. Everything he said is true. God, thank you. That's the worship. Just wow, we've just experienced great news, and now we are thankful. And so out loud we will sing and we will pray and we will give you our gratitude. But then what, what's what's natural to do next with good news? You share good news, it's very natural. That when you've experienced something so great that you want to talk to other people about it, and so this is kind of the progression: they received good news, they worshipped, and then they said, "Well, now let's go tell someone else about it." I've shared the story before on, on Mill Road Elementary School. I won't. I have to contain myself. I won't go through the whole story and all the details again. But as our as our ministry has grown on, in many different areas and in different ways. Our school has continued to grow as well. And so we've been looking for a way to find some more space for our school. And Mill Road Elementary School, about a half a mile down the road, came up for sale and it went to auction. And I mean, we're talking, we, we met hundreds of times, hundreds of hours thinking through how to, do we want to get the school? How would we go about it? And you guys know, we, it was quite the process. But the conclusion from everyone in the church, I mean, it was 100%, which never happens was, let's go get the school. Let's go get the school. And so we figured out how much we thought we could spend, and, and we went to this auction. And I, I went into this auction as a mess, because I was nervous. I wanted to win the school. There was no plan B. There was no next best option. And so we got to the auction. It was full. The room was full of people. And we had an amount as a church that we had agreed upon that we would spend and, and we could not go over it. And, and so you guys know how it went. There's one person bidding against us. I mean, there's bid after bid after bid. And I'm thinking, we've lost. We're not going to win this auction. I mean, this guy, is not, he is not batting an eye. Every time we bid, he bids. And he keeps going and going and going until we finally got to our last bid. Last bid. The last one. We could not go over the amount. Y'all would have been mad at us. We had agreed upon the amount. This is it. And and I was I was a mess. Calm on the outside, screaming inside. Thinking, well, we better start thinking of some other ideas. And the guy stopped bidding. Our very last bid, the guy that had been bidding us up this entire time just stopped bidding. And finally after what felt like a decade, the auctioneer said sold to Mount Calvary. And I jumped off the stage. I was sitting so calmly, I jumped off the stage and I shouted, I screamed, I worshiped. I was so thankful that we got this school that we had been praying for. And then what did I do? I started talking to everyone, everyone, guys that were bidding against me, taking business cards, having conversations, telling them all about our school and our church and what we were going to do about it. I mean, I just wouldn't stop talking. I was so happy. What did I do after we left the auction? I went and talked more about the auction. I went to a church member's house. I gave the whole play-by-play, kind of like this. The whole play-by-play. Then what did I do? I made phone calls. I told more people about the auction. I just couldn't stop talking about how great of news this was for our ministry. But don't you see? It's not hard to share good news. You don't have to take a class on sharing good news. You don't have to read a book on how to share good news. We share good news. That's just what we do. You win the lottery. You're going to talk about it. You find out you're pregnant. Maybe you've not been able to get pregnant. And you get pregnant. What are you going to do? You're going to tell someone. You get the job. You get engaged. What are you going to do? You're going to talk to someone about it. Our problem, the reason we don't share the gospel or the reason that we're not on mission, it's not because we we aren't skilled enough or we don't have the, the abilities to do it. The reason that we're not sharing the gospel is that the gospel is no longer good news. It's just news. It's just news. Who wants to talk about the news? Not me. I don't have any interest in talking about the news. The gospel is not great news. And when the gospel just becomes news, we're not going to talk about it. We have to get back to the place where the news is great news. I mean, we have to recapture it. You are forgiven. You are forgiven because of what happened last Sunday. You are forgiven. You were dead, and now you are alive. Go tell someone about it. Go tell someone about it. This is the the picture of what we have with Mary and the disciples. It's great news. We got to go tell. We have worshiped and we have sung, and now let's go tell someone about it. Number three worship supersedes fearing. Worship supersedes fearing. Fear is mentioned a couple times in the passage. If you read Matthew 28, I mean, it kind of stands out. Four times we see fear or fearing, verse 4 and 5 and 8 and verse 10. I mean, fear is a powerful thing when you're talking about going on mission. Probably the, the most powerful reason why we say nothing at all, actually. I mean, fear can just suffocate you, just suffocate you. If you've ever had a panic attack. Fear just neutralizes you. And what we see in Matthew 28 is we see two different groups of people respond to fear. Okay, the first one is verse four. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The guards responded to fear and they were neutralized. And it kind of, it makes sense. I mean, they can't understand what's happening. They don't have a frame of reference of what's what's happening before them. But if what, what they did understand, they probably started to suspect they were on the wrong side of this. Like we have made a mistake. And so they're, they are scared and they should have been scared. And so what, what's the only thing they can do? They, are, they fall on the ground and they are like dead men. And they're completely neutralized. But then in the next verse, verse five, we see the other group. This time it's the women. Verse 5, the angel says, do not fear. So he's recognizing that the women have fear as well, but he's saying, don't fear. And then verse 8, we kind of see how they process the fear. With fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples. And I just love this. I love this part here. I've taught this passage so many times. This little phrase was incredible to me. It doesn't say they didn't fear. It doesn't say their fear was gone. Right? They still had fear. And they had plenty of things to fear. I mean, is this angel? Lightning and this earthquake. I mean, did we do something wrong? I mean, we, we have not been perfect. I mean, there's probably some fear that God might be upset with them. Or what's Jesus going to say to us? What's he going to say to the disciples? There's probably with some fear that the guards are going to wake up. The guards are going to wake up. They're going to remember the women that were there. I mean, we could get in trouble for this. We're going to go share about a man who was just crucified. I mean, there's plenty of reasons for the women to fear. Fear's everywhere. But what does the text say? The joy was greater. It was a greater joy. Their joy was bigger than their fear. So they leaned into their joy instead of their fear, and then they moved and they acted. I think we've seen some really great examples of this concept with our police officers the last couple of weeks. If you've watched the news, and you know I don't like talking about the news, but if you've watched the news, I mean, our police have been put in the worst possible situations. I mean, inhumane, unspeakable, awful situations. The most frightening situations. Completely vulnerable. And you watch these videos, these stories, you hear these stories about how the police are responding. And what do they do? They're not overwhelmed by fear. They don't fall like dead dead men on the floor like the guards in Matthew 28, but they do the opposite. They run towards the danger. They run, literally, run towards the danger, even if it costs them their life. How do they do this? You know they're fearful. You know that they have fear. Well, how do they do it? They must have a feeling inside of them that is greater than the fear. The fear or the the feeling of responsibility, the feeling of compassion, the feeling of duty. And what they lean into those feelings. So that their fear looks small and they go and they do what they're called to do. And aren't we thankful for our police? I mean, isn't it just to, just to see that? Is, but it's a picture of what we see here with the women. They go, they have some fear, but man, their joy and their excitement outweighs it. And we'll always be afraid to go. To share on any level. The smallest conversations to the biggest conversations we will always have fear. I'm fearful. I'm always afraid to share. I mean, you know, you get this voice in your head. What if I mess up? I don't know what to say. I don't even know that I'm capable. I'm not sure what. Like, we have these fears. I have these fears. What do I do? I pray. Every Sunday morning, I pray, God, help me. Help me. Give me compassion and give me conviction and give me clarity. Give me more of that than fear. Make my fear look small that I will get up and I will share truthfully. And so we pray. God gives us courage. Verse, or the fourth point. When you go, you go in his mercy. When you go, you go you go in his mercy. It's missions weekend, it's missions Sunday, but mission Sunday is not just about us praying for our missionaries. That's a huge part of it and we are thankful for all of our missionaries and we will hear more about them tonight and we will pray for them and we will encourage them, but it is more than just us sitting in our seat saying, look at those missionaries. It is the annual reminder that in Christ we are on mission. We, you and I, both together are on mission. That it's not a a job that some people have and some people don't. It's not going on mission. It's not a spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift. It's obedience or disobedience. And it looks different for everyone, but I think it's a great reminder that if we look at what it means to follow Christ in the New Testament, you're going You see Jesus is resurrected, now you say, let's go and let's talk about it. And so that's the assumption here for these last couple points. I feel like I just had to to kind of make that point. When you go, you go in his mercy. When you go, where you go, how you go, you go under the cloak of the mercy of Christ. And we see this in our passage with Mary and the disciples. I mean, the number of times I hear... I'm not worthy. Matt, if you would hear or know what I've done, I I am disqualified. I'm disqualified. Who am I to tell someone else about a God that that I mess up and I fail over and over again? Well, what do we learn about this group here? Matthew 26, the night before Jesus was crucified. I'll, I'll put it on the screen He's with the disciples. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. I mean, that's sobering. They just had a worship service. And Jesus' benediction is, you're going to mess up. You're going to desert me. In my most important moment, you're going to run away. So that's a great benediction. And then he says, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I am raised up, oh, I'm going to come back and see you, disciples, and I'm going to smack you. No, it doesn't say that. I, I'm, it doesn't say that, but that's what you kind of are anticipating. Like Jesus just said, you're going to desert me, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to see you. And I'm going to meet you in Galilee, and that's where we started." Like, that was where it all began. That's where I called you, Peter. And, and what am I going to do? Not smack you. I will, I'm going to empower you. He's going to go to Galilee. That's where Matthew 28 happens. I'm going to empower you to go and to make disciples. Mercy. Jesus meets their failures with mercy. I mean, think of Peter. He denied he denied Jesus. Think of Matthew 28, even when they get to Galilee. So even after all this, right before Jesus comes to them, they get to Galilee. What does it say that they were doing? It's It's a really fascinating verse. People disagree on what it actually means, like what's happening here. But the text says pretty plainly, they worshiped and they doubted. What do you mean they're doubting? Who's doubting? I think it's the same people that are worshiping. Who is Jesus again? Like, is that really Him? Or who, doubting themselves? Like, am I qualified for this? Doubting their giftedness? Doubting the mission? Are we sure about this? This isn't gonna go very well. I mean, they've probably had all kinds of doubts. Yeah, what does Jesus do? Go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. You've deserted me you've denied me, you doubt me, now let me empower you. What's that called? It's called mercy. Jesus meets them in their failures and says, peace, peace with you. That's what he says in Luke 24. When he meets them, he, he comes through the door and, he, and they, they were scared and he says, peace be with you. And he shares a meal with them. It's a relationship. He's, he's, let's, let's have a meal. You're not perfect but let's go to Galilee and I'm going to send you and you're going to go. This is the mercy that we go under when we talk to someone else. And we're not qualified, but neither were they. And so we go in the same cloak of God's mercy that they did. Number five, when you go, you go in his power. When you go, you go in his power. You have the ability to do this. You can do this. I said it already. Talking to someone about the good news of the hope of new life is not a spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift. It's naturally what happens when you come face to face with Jesus. We talked about this last week. The resurrection gives us hope for the future, but it's not just uh, r- right the resurrection gives us hope for heaven, but that's not what Easter is all about. Just one day we get to go to heaven and it's going to be great. No, no, no. The New Testament, Jesus, Paul makes it really clear that this future hope cascades back into our present. And the resurrected Jesus means we have power today. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is indwelling in us. And because of that, man, we have untapped power Last week, we talked about one power, the power to endure anything. Remember that? Endure anything. Because of Jesus, he was resurrected, we can endure. There's all kinds of powers we have, abilities that we have. One of those is we have the power to go and to be effective and to share. Luke 24, 48 through 49, you are my witnesses of these. It's the same, same scene here. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. I'm going to give you the clothing that you need to be the people that I've called you for. 1 Corinthians 2, I'm not going to read about it. Paul's just saying, I'm nothing special. Paul was nothing special. I can't talk fancy. I'm not really smart. I don't have all the illustrations. My education, it's okay. But what does he say? But I'm gonna go in the power of Christ and his spirit. And that's how I'm gonna be communicated. That's how I'm gonna communicate. So it's not about giftedness, it's not about some power that some have and some don't have. It's for all of us, we have, if we have the Holy Spirit, then we have the power to go. Now, it's going to look different for everyone, right? It looks different for each of us. Not all of us are going to go to Planned Parenthood. Not, a, not all of us are going to stand up on this stage. Not all of us are going to go to Bethel, Maine, or Papua New Guinea, or wherever. Not, not, but this is how Scripture makes it clear that the place, okay, we, we all have different places that we're going to go, but more importantly is that you're going somewhere. Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses God has prepared in advance as his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Ephesians 2, Paul, this isn't a general call for all of us to missions. This is very personal, it's very specific here. He's saying, You specifically have good works that only you can do, that I I can't do it. Very specific works for you to do. And so this this is what's so great. I mean, all of us have different things. Some that we can do, some that we can't do. And so what is this saying? It's saying it's going to look different for all of us, but here's what God does. In your experiences, in your giftedness, in your joys and even in your sorrows. What God is saying is, I want to use your sorrows and your joys and your giftedness and your hobbies and your circles of the people around you. I want to use you to hold someone's hand, someone's hand that Matt can't hold because Matt doesn't have the same sorrows that you have or the same joys that you have or he doesn't work where you work. Ephesians 2.10 is saying, God has prepared you for a ministry and a mission only for you. There's only, some, there's only certain strongholds that you can speak into because you've gone through the stronghold. Only certain people that you can talk to because you can relate and empathize in a way that others can't. Other needs, some needs that only you can meet. And that's how God works. Very specific works based on what he's done in your life so that we can go in his power and share the truth and the hope of the gospel. Number six, when you go, you go in his promises. When you go, you go in his promises. This is comforting. When you go, we go in his power, and we go in his promises, and we go in his mercy. I mean, this is encouraging. We can we can go. There's two promises in Matthew 28. You have the authority of Jesus when you go. He says... you. I have the authority to send you. And then he says, in verse 20, when you go, I'm with you. So, so there's, we, we've, we have permission to do this. Permission to go and to do. And I think, you know, we love to claim that last verse. Verse 20, I will be with you. I'll always be with you. We claim it. But what we have to remember, and we should claim it, but what you really should remember is that this promise of God being with you, which we love that idea. It is couched in the context of you going. You going. I will be with you when you go and make disciples of all nations. That's when you're going to know that I'm with you. Not when you're sitting on the sofa doing nothing. When you go, know you have the authority. And not only do I, well, I have the authority is what he says, but I am with you when you go. And so therefore, you have the authority to go. So we go in his promises, we go in his power, we go in his mercy, and then where do we go? When you go, you go to the nations. Where are they supposed to go? Where are we supposed to go? Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Pretty clear that telling the disciples, telling Mary and Mary, hey, this is good right here but we've got to expand this, right? It's great. Some of you will stay here, but some of you need to go further. There's a lot of people out there that don't know about me, that that don't know the good news. And so we got to go tell them about the great news. Well, what does it mean all nations? It's not political nations. They didn't have political nations. So it's not Canada, just Canada or Kenya or Russia. The word means the ethne is the Greek word. It means ethnic groups. It's where we get the term ethnicity. He's saying go to all ethnicities, to all ethnic groups, not just every country, but to every ethnicity. And so let's just think about how many ethnic groups there are in the world today. Go ahead and put put all the verse, all the points there. Well, just a quick example: Nigeria, one nation, 500 ethnic groups. So what, we can't just go to Nigeria and say, "Check, we've done that." We're get, no 500 ethnic people groups there. So how many how many people groups or ethnic groups are there in the world? 16,300. How many of that 16,300 are consi- are considered unreached? So to be unreached, you have less than two percent Christ followers. Less than 5% professing Christians, which means it's not good for the gospel. You're untouched. How many of those 16,000? 6,000. 6,000 groups. You know how many people that is? It's 40% of the world. 40%. If we were to take the the 50 biggest of those unreached ethnic groups, the 50 biggest, that's 1.5 billion people. Who have no access to the gospel. This is why Jesus is saying, You saw me resurrected. Go and tell anyone and everyone to the far ends about this. I have a friend, I have a friend who uh, interestingly spent his Easter week in Morocco, not really the Easter destination you might expect. Spent all week there. So interesting to watch him post and to write about what he's experiencing as a Christian in Morocco. okay? I know nothing about Morocco. 40 million people, he says. 40 million people. 99% Islam. 99%. So he's, he shows this beautiful picture of this town. I mean, all their buildings are painted blue. and I forget the name of the town, but it's gorgeous. This sky blue. All these homes. And my kids came and were looking at this picture with me. And his post, he, what he said was, out of all these, all these people, all these houses, this mat, this big town, he said, there's not one church. I have nowhere to go for Easter. And in fact, they're celebrating Ramadan. And so they're sounding the, the they're making the noises, they're fasting and they're praying. I mean, it's, he said, it's everywhere. And, and they're all, he said, they're nice people. He sits down and has some meals with people, but he said, there's no church. And, and my sons, Truman and, and Jack, I mean, this is like, it's so mind-blowing to them. What do you mean? There's no church, no Easter. Unreached. God cares about the unreached. He cares about the nations. And so this was the call to the disciples, and it's our, it's, it has to be our call too. Now, we're not all going to go but some of us need to go. Some of us, we need to go. Some of us need to pray. We need to pray. I, I'll put this, the slide up. If you want to pray with me, this is how I pray. And it's just, it's just good, I think, to expand your thinking about our really big world and how much work we have left to do. This is a, a daily a newsletter that I get from Operation World, which is there's no one close to giving the information on on the world and where they stand with Jesus in Operation World. But I get an email in my inbox every morning and it says, this is the country to pray for today. This is kind of how the country's doing. I've been been praying for China all week. China, again, I don't have time, but 1.4 billion people in China. 1.4 billion people, 5% evangelical. Five percent, 4four percent of China, this is what the email says. 4four percent would say non-religious. This is why we go. This is why we pray. We need to be praying, expands our knowledge. How can God send us somewhere that we don't even know exists? He's not going to. You pray for Morocco and you pray for China and you let's see what God does through that. And then we send people. As a church, we send people. We need to keep sending people. We need to send more people. More. And so this is the call for us. That Easter Sunday is great, and I'm glad it was a beautiful service, and I'm glad that we could sing and weep and celebrate. But listen, church, to the degree that we celebrate is to the degree that we go. I mean, we go. If we believe in the message of the resurrected Jesus, we are compelled, like Mary and the disciples, to go and to make disciples. And so that, may that be us, church. A church that says we believe in resurrected Jesus and now in our own way, in our own circles, in our own personalities. I get it, we're all different. But I will take a step to share the hope of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. God, I pray that we'd be so overwhelmed that we'd be compelled to share, share with someone else, whatever that looks like. God, may our worship feed our going. And I pray, God, as we sing this last song about being magnified in our lives and through our words and through our deeds, God, I pray that you just encourage us on ways that we can do that in our own own circles, in our homes and in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms. God, I pray that as we sing the words, be magnified, God, I pray that your Spirit would give us some small steps that we can take about sharing the hope that we have in you. And so, God, help us to do that. We need your help. Left to ourselves, we will clam up and we will say nothing at all. And if we do talk, we'll say the wrong thing. But, God, you don't leave us to ourselves. You've given us the powerful Holy Spirit. And so, God, we lean into the Spirit. And we pray that you would work in our lives and in our words. In in the name of Christ we pray, amen.